Having Sage approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system. And I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, math, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Recently, we had some family visiting, and on our way to dinner, we popped on an episode of Mysteries About True Histories, math, with my niece and nephew in the car. In this episode, Max and Molly travel back in time to solve a mystery from the order of the problem solvers, along with lots of kid humor mixed in. It was a fun way to enjoy our car ride together and opened the door for some interesting conversation about history and understanding some of the mysteries of the past. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and meal times, and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 230. I got to hang out with NICU nurse Zach Drolet and dive into what it can look like to experience a NICU stay and ways to advocate for yourself, for your family, for your tiny human or tiny humans, and how to also practice self-care in this often exhausting roller coaster of a season. We have a special little intro here for you as well, where you get to hear from NICU parents who have walked that journey and can share their words of wisdom. I'm so excited to be able to share this episode with y'all, especially with these special guests. Before we dive in, I wanted to let you know that my first book, Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, is available for pre-order right now now. And if you head over to www.seedandso.org slash book and pre-order it, then come right back to that website, seedandso.org slash book, pop in your name and email and pre-order number, and we will send you some bonus goodies. I'm so excited to get this book out into the world. It is your comprehensive guide to raising emotionally intelligent humans. And y'all, Just imagine this world with me for a second, a world full of emotional intelligence all around us, where we get to live it and breathe it. Our tiny humans get to live it and breathe it. It's pretty dreamy, right? The future is emotionally intelligent because you are doing this work. Head over to seedandso.org slash book to snag tiny humans, big emotions. All right, let's dive in. Hey there, I'm Alyssa Blass Campbell. I'm a mom with a master's degree in early childhood education and co-creator of the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method. I'm here to walk alongside you through the messy, vulnerable parts of being humans raising other humans with deep thoughts and actionable tips. Let's dive in together. So I would recommend that expecting parents have a conversation before delivery about what they would like to happen in the event that baby needs to go to NICU after they are born. If it's possible to have 
more than one support person present during birth or delivery in either the hospital or even in the hospital room, it can be helpful to talk ahead of time about who is going to stay to help take care of mom after birth and who is going to go with baby to be with them as they receive the medical care they need in the NICU. I also recommend that whoever goes with baby and whoever stays behind with mom be able to both have their phones available so that they can communicate back and forth to relay information to one another more quickly so that mom can be kept in the loop or both parents can be kept in the loop if um, they stay with each other to support mom after birth. I also recommend that whoever goes with baby take pictures and videos of the baby as soon as it's appropriate to do so. This can help the parents, especially mom, if she is behind being taken care of, to be able to feel connected to their baby and be able to share in those precious first moments of life. So my biggest advice for NICU parents would be to lean on each other and to share even what may seem like the smallest stuff um, because I think it's so important to know that you're not alone and that you have a shared experience. Um, sometimes going through it, you don't feel like you do and that's why communication is so important. The other thing would be to rest. Rest is productive and I think our little ones need us to be able to take care of them by first taking care of ourselves. Hello everyone, welcome back to Voices of Your Village. Today I get to hang out with a friend of mine. I get to hang out with Zach Drolet. He is a Boston-based NICU nurse who grew up alongside his mother's in-home childcare, which fostered his love of children and propelled him into a career caring for our tiniest humans. He's looking forward to sharing his experiences working with these infants and their families. And I'm looking forward to getting to hang out with you today, Zach. How are you? Good, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I am just, I'm doing pretty well. This is something that we've had so many requests for. I think it is often filled with so many unknowns and you sometimes when you're going into delivery, you know that there's a NICU stay that's on the horizon or a potential NICU stay on the horizon. And sometimes when you're going into delivery, it catches you off guard and you didn't see it coming. And I want to be able to dive into just what it looks like or what it can look like and how people can move through it with as much support and love kind of as possible. So thanks for diving into this with me today. As we're getting started, you know, before we started recording, I was chatting with you a little bit. And one of the things we're talking about is how it is so overwhelming, right? Like you go from maybe you're in labor and delivery and you as a labor and delivery nurse as well have, I'm sure experienced this where like this baby comes out and like, they're not going to the NICU and there's still so much that happens and unfolds. That's like unexpected. Didn't see this coming. Holy shit. Having a baby's hard and my body hurts and all that jazz. And then this added layer of Oh, and now this expectation I had of being with this baby and going home and all that I envisioned in going home with this baby 
is pushed to the wayside because we're going into the NICU. And just that emotional component, I think, of like, what does this mean? <laughs> and what, so when, if somebody finds themselves in those shoes of like, they are in an unexpected NICU stay, what can a typical NICU stay look like? Yeah, so I mean, a child being born is like just a joyful and incredible moment. And it's been like that since the beginning of time. So it, it can be such an exciting time. And that's why I, I love the job that I do. But sometimes, you know, those complications can happen and they do end up in the NICU with us. And um, it's not lost on any of us, you know, staff that work in the NICU that's supposed to be a happy time. And then it can end up being a really scary and vulnerable time for for parents. So you can see a wide range of NICU admissions, it can be something that is super complicated. You can see a very critical ill infant that's in the hospital for months or maybe even years up to, you know, you could even be there for a couple hours or just a day or two, you know, a full-term infant that, you know, does okay. So you can see a wide range of different complications. When a baby is in the NICU, um, what can we do? Like, I feel like I know a lot of the, like, what can't we do? <laughs> what can we do? Like if you're a birthing parent, um, and we can talk about a non birthing parent as well, but what can you do? Yeah. Um, you know, again, definitely it really depends on the, um, you know, what's going on with the infant, but you know, the parents are really important in, in the infant's care, you know, especially as the birthing parent, you know, providing breast milk for the baby, especially premature infants that, that's treated as like a medicine for those kids. Um, so, so, you know, pumping and, and providing milk is, is really important too, if you can do that. And then another thing too, is just that both the parents being a, a part of the infant's care, understanding, you know, what the plan of care is, um, advocating for your baby and making sure that, you know, you're on board with the plan. You know, I, I do a lot of educating with the parents and, you know, really making sure they understand all the monitors, all the different equipment we're using, you know, explaining the, all the changes that are happening and, and where the infant's at developmentally so they can kind of understand what they need to do, where the infant's going, to really have them be a part of that healthcare team. Yeah, that's so helpful. I'm like forever the kid with my hand in my ear being like, oh, tell me about this. What does this thing do? What are you doing now? What's that? And to the point where like, I'm probably often very annoying in those situations, but I like to have that information. And also I, when it's in like a medical scenario, find myself like sometimes afraid to advocate or to ask questions, or I guess like even thinking in parenthood, even outside of NICU stays, like the times that I feel like I haven't been Sage's best advocate is when it's a medical scenario. And there's this part of me that's like, I grew up in a culture where doctors are always right. And that's what I was told. And you're supposed to defer to them. And so I love that you bring parents into this and help them understand like, what is that machine doing? What's our goal here? And we talk a lot at Seed about mini stones to milestones. There's a whole part in my book about this. Of like, if we're looking at milestones of like this baby goes home or this baby 
eats on their own or whatever. Like what are those mini stones that lead up to that? What are some, I, I would love to like highlight a, a scenario to be able to look at like, what are some mini stones you might be looking at that in the moment I think can feel so small. And I've heard from so many NICU parents that like celebrating those small wins so huge to then getting to that milestone to celebrate. So let's look at feeding, for example. I feel like feeding is a big one that I feel like I hear about a lot. I don't know. Is that is this is this legit? Is that common? <laughs> Did I make? Yeah, that? no. I think I, no, no. I think that it, you know that is one of the the big milestones for sure. Um, I think that's a big one for parents too because that just parental instinct, like you just want to feed your baby, you want to hold totally. your baby. Like when when babies are able to do that, it's it's a big moment. So that that is a big one. I mean, first you know. Lung development kind of happens. Lungs are fully developed for an infant around like 36 weeks. And sometimes they're still not fully developed after that, or they can have complications coming out after. So, so the first thing we really, you know, one of the bigger things we really work a lot with, with infants is, is um, breathing issues. Um, And they can't eat a bottle or breastfeed or anything like that until they can breathe appropriately. So that's one of the first things, you know, we really make sure that the infants can, can breathe. Okay. So, you know, milestones there, if, you know, they're intubating, we're able to pull out the breathing tube. If um, they're on sort of any sort of respiratory support, we can take that away and they can breathe on their own. Like those are all like big milestones that we um, see a lot of the time. If they're on oxygen, then we can take that off. And then, and then from there, we start kind of working on feeding. So, you know, taking their first bottle is always a a big Mm -hmm. moment. Usually like to have the parents around for that to kind of see that, you know, when they, when we can pull their, we have a tube that goes into their belly that, um, we can feed them through. And when they can take enough by their bottle that we can pull that tube out, that's always a big milestone too. So those are some of the bigger milestones that a lot of our kids see. That's sweet. So when we're looking at breathing, is it something that you would say, like, it, would you go into it being like, okay, that like breathing tube, I guess, or like the mask or whatever, is just going to come off and be off. Or is it like, that's going to come off for a certain amount of time and then go back on? Like, what would those, what would that trajectory potentially look like? So in a NICU stay in general, um, especially if it's a longer term, it can be a roller coaster of a ride. Um, it's never a straight trajectory. It's never, oh, the baby's going to get better and better and better. It's very up and down. Um, some days you'll have good days. Then, you know, you take two step forward, one step back. Just like so parenting sometimes. in general. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. not linear. <laughs> sure. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, sometimes you can take that breathing tube out and then they do good for a couple of days or even a couple of weeks. And then, you know, something happens, they get sick and they need it again. Um, or the mask that helps with their breathing, you know, sometimes, you know, that can go on and then, you know, they need it back on because, you know, they just tire out. So, you know, we, sometimes you can have backtracks and that's part of it. And, you know, we do talk a lot about that, that it's not this straight trajectory. Um, Cause you know, I think parents, you know, hope that once these things kind of go away, they're never going to come back. And um, sometimes they do. So we do talk about that a lot, but you know, we just kind of keep, keep trying to chip away at some of those things and keep moving them in the right direction. Sure. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good metaphor for parenting across the board. I was thinking of just like sleep and how it's like, we'll have people who are like, okay, they're sleeping through the night. And I'm like, great. And I'm not going to let you know in this moment, they probably won't be forever right now, right? Like that that's going to change again. And they're going to go through a developmental leap or there's going to be a sickness or whatever. And you're going to be back to wake ups and support and whatever. Um, I, parenting isn't linear. Being human isn't, right? There's so many ebbs and flows. Uh, that's so helpful to go in with. Like, I'm such a goal, like give me a goal and I'm on it. Like love to go after goals. And so I think that would be something for me personally that I would have to like really go in with that mindset of like, we might reach a goal and then take a couple of steps back. And it doesn't mean that was all for nothing or that we're not going to get there. Um, We're just on the road there and it's, it's not linear. We don't reach a destination and like check a box. Yeah, that's tough. When it comes to, I'm such a like, I love, I love a good baby snuggle. Like my, my neighbor actually right now is pregnant and due um, in a couple months. And I was like, oh yes, like, thank you. You just pass that baby over any time. They can lay on me at any point. We'll take them at any hour of the day. Give me all those snuggles. And I think that, for me would be so challenging in the NICU of like, can I touch them? How much can I touch them? Are things going to come out? Like also we know the benefits of touch in health and um, wellness across the board, emotional health, physical health. Uh, what does that look like? What is possible? Can we touch them? Yeah. I mean, even um, our, our sickest, smallest preemies, we encourage the parents to come in and, um, you know, put their hands on the babies, hold their hands. Sometimes if they're still very um, unstable, we can't take them out to do skin to skin where they can hold them right on their chest. But as soon as they're stable enough to be able to do that, like we encourage the parents to do it. Um, and and then as they become kind of more stable, you know, we encourage that, you know, every day if the baby can tolerate it, you know, we really, it's all about the baby, right? So, you know, wherever the baby's at that day. So if they're having a tough day and it's not the day to hold, you know, sometimes it can be a little overstimulating to take them out and do all that or a lot of procedures or anything, but um, any days we can have them out and do skin to skin, it's so beneficial to these babies. Yeah. So beneficial. Okay. The burnout is so real and like the burnout's real. If this is a first child or an only child and then if you add on, like, I have a friend recently who has a, had a baby in the NICU for a couple months and has a toddler at home and is going back and forth and, and parenting a toddler and going back to the NICU and feeling forever like she's not able to be in any one space enough. And that, that burnout is so real. What what can we do about that as, as parents, as caregivers? Yeah. I mean, definitely like right after you have that baby, I always tell parents, you know, you have to make sure you rest and recover and take care of yourself, especially, you know, even a vaginal delivery, a C-section is major abdominal surgery. Like you need to make sure you're taking care of yourself and you get yourself well to take care of this baby. Because if you're not well, you're not going to be able to take care of this baby. That's like number one. And it is, it's hard. I mean, when the, when the birthing partner gets discharged from the hospital, that's always a very hard day. Um, parents going home without their baby, um, is really, really difficult. So yeah, 
definitely like don't don't feel guilty especially if you have another child at home you have other things going on don't feel guilty if you can't come in for a couple days or um, you know you can only be there for a very short amount of time you know we understand at the hospital that there's other things and and your baby's well taken care of by us at the hospital and um, you know you have to make sure you're taking care of your things at home too and just getting ready for when the baby does come home because it's 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 a lot when the baby does come home because you have to adjust to that. You know, you you start to get adjusted to what it's like to kind of commute back and forth from the hospital and deal with that. And then you have to adjust to that. So, you know, we always, you know, say we don't put any, like, don't feel guilty at all for, for, you know, taking the time you need outside the hospital. And it's also being in an ICU. It's a very overstimulating environment. There's a lot of lights. There's a lot of noises. Um, and it's constant. So it's not even very realistic to stay there for long periods of time or for days on end um, it, it can be just overstimulating so we don't encourage that anyways for parents to be there for for all that time so you know we encourage them to come in for whatever time they can come in and participate in the cares however um, they're comfortable with you know whether that's just being there for rounds or being called you know rounds are when we all kind of discuss the plan of care for baby every day um, you know, whether they would want to be there for that and listen to that, or they just want to come in and do one feed or one hold and then go home, you know, however, um, they can kind of come in and be a part of that care and incorporate that into their life outside the hospital too. Sure. Yeah. That guilt, I think, I mean, it's just so real. It's so, we're so ingrained. I feel like at this point to not lean on our village, right. That like so many of us, have we're living in households where it's single family households we don't have extended family in the house most of the time in a lot of cultures especially here in the states and um or even nearby in a lot of um for a lot of families and we really come away from that village mindset in so many ways that i think leaning into that is tough to say like yeah, I, it's, I don't have to be the only one to care for this child. And I have these other humans that are a part of my village right now to lean on and to support them, to support me. I, we know that self-care is so crucial. And like, listen, I couldn't even like sit for a while after giving birth, right? Like self-care is real. The everything hurts. <laughs> Have, there's fluid from every hole in your body and like you also need to be nurtured and taken care of uh, alongside taking care of this tiny human and I, I think really allowing that and and letting yourself because I think that guilt's going to come up and being able to recognize it and acknowledge like oh right I have this narrative that I'm supposed to do it all um, and it's okay for me not to and part of being healthy right now means not part of me showing up as the parent I want to be right now means leaning on my village means asking for help. It means accepting help, all that jazz um, that I think is honestly practiced for the rest of parenthood <laughs> that like it is, it's hard and we're not meant to do this alone. And so many of us are. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. 
we've been loving active skin repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. Have you ever been like scrolling the internet and there's all these like tools for calming your child and how to regulate and whatever and you try them and your child just gets amped up or that doesn't work or you find yourself in these cycles where it's like epic meltdown, try to come back from it and you just feel like you're putting out fires all day long. If this is you, you aren't alone and we collaborated with an occupational therapist to create our sensory profile quiz. This is gonna help you learn about what helps your child regulate, what's happening in their unique nervous system. We are all different and figuring out what you're sensitive to or what helps you regulate is the key for actually doing this work, for getting to a regulated state, for having tools for calming down, for having tools for regulation. Head on over to www.seedquiz.com to take the quiz for free. You can take it as many times as you like for as many humans as you'd like. And we will deliver results right to your inbox to get you kickstarted on this journey. Seedquiz.com. Some one hot take that someone had sent over that I was like, oh, I love that was about writing everything down. And I even like, even outside of the NICU, like, gosh, I look back and I'm like, I wish I would have done that at the beginning. I keep a 
journal for Sage that I started when he was like five months old that I wish I started from the beginning where every night I write one sentence of just like a takeaway from that day. And then every year I get to see like, now I'm looking at ones I wrote last year. I'm like, oh my gosh, last year he was just like, he just went up the stairs for the first time. And now he's saying things like, I'm going to run upstairs and get something and come back down. Like it, it's cool to be able to compare those, but I, we forget it. We forget all the things. Our survival brain is so good at not remembering all the things um, because you are leaking from every hole and everything is hard in so many ways that like, I think this is how we keep having kids is that we forget everything. Uh, but I loved that idea of bringing a notebook and writing everything down. Is there anything else that you've seen parents do in terms of like, um, like hot tips in those like early NICU days, like bringing a notebook that could be helpful for the short term or for the long term? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so funny. Like you see all the different, um, personality types and whatever. So some people love just they want all the details. They want to know, oh, you made this change on the vent. You did this. You want, yeah, exactly. Like write all that. It's me. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, just write every detail down and do that. There's some parents that really, they just want to come in. They just want to know the, the bigger picture. Like they're just there. One thing I do like, you know, and, and, and we kind of talk about this with parents. You're like, whatever's going to work for them, you know, whatever's going to bring them, you know, the most peace in this like, anxiety driven time because there's some parents that really just want to come in and they just want like I just want to know what the bigger picture plan is like are we close to getting home are we not like and I'm just going to come in I'm going to take care of the baby and I'm going to go and you just like let me know if there's something I need to know where there's some parents that want to come in and just want to know all the details they want to be a part of every little thing so and we see the whole spectrum in between one thing I encourage all the parents to do though is just take lots of pictures mm -hmm. um you know I always am like any pictures of skin to skin, especially the first time, uh, bath time, diaper changes, any of the big milestones, just lots and lots of pictures is so you can look back on those and see, you know, even the the like micro preemies when they've been there for, you know, four or five, six months. And, um, you know, you just kind of like are caught up in the day to day and you're just trying to survive and get through. And you can like look back at those pictures, say, look at how far we've come. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we've come a long way. So that's always like sometimes parents will look back at that and be like, oh, yeah, we like, I remember when, you know, three months ago it was like, you know, a lot. So, so that's like one thing I always do is take lots of pictures. And I love that. Yeah. I love that because it is, it's the longest, shortest time. And, it every day feels like so many days when you're in it. And all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, we're, we're a week in and look at how far we've come or we're two months in and look at how far we've come and look what they were doing two months ago or what they looked like two months ago. And it changes so much. I love the taking of the pictures. I also had someone who said, oh, creating a schedule for visits so that if you need that break and you also are like, but I don't want the baby to be alone or without family. Uh, the baby's never alone, but without family, then curate a schedule. Who else can come? Do you have family, friends that are family? Do you have a co-partner in this? Um, who can come also be there so that you can step out? I think um, is huge. Yeah. And just, I don't from the emotional side, like grieving, right? Like allowing yourself the time to grieve what you envision so that you can be present to what is. As you were describing that spectrum of 
you know, like my response to anxiety is like, give me all the information. I want every detail that helps me feel in control. It helps me feel like I can be a part of this system. And then the other anxiety response of like dissociation, like I will come and I will show up as much as I can. And that not one isn't better than the other. They're just two different responses to a really overwhelmed nervous system. And it's okay to be in an overwhelmed state. Like you're going to be in a dysregulated state right now and that's okay. Um, and just allowing that to be true. Yeah. We, I'm lucky enough to work at a hospital too, that we have a lot of, um, you know, supportive staff. We have social workers, we have psychiatrists, we have chaplains. Um, so I, we have family support people. Like we have a lot of places for parents to go to get support or just to talk or, or anything like that, just to kind of help with that. So I always encourage parents, like if, if they're having a hard time and, and those staff are so good about just constantly checking in on parents, because, you know, again, we just know how much of a vulnerable and scary time this is for parents. A hundred percent. I continued therapy. I, I would love to be in it for life. I love my therapist. Um, but I remember my like first postpartum session and I was like, Oh, I didn't realize how much I need this <laughs> until I was in it. Um, that's awesome. I love that suggestion. That, like that's available for you. Um, at the NICU, I am wondering, like, I know in most states, I think this is true that if you've been in the NICU for over a week or over 10 days or, or the child has that they automatically qualify for early intervention services. I think that's mm -hmm. the case in Massachusetts. Um, are there resources like that available at the NICU? Like, okay, when it is time to be discharged, you're going home with this babe. What do you have for resources to turn to for support? Is there is there a person they can just like ask? Yeah, um, so definitely early intervention is a big one. A lot of the time, our kids, like we have a lot of follow-up appointments with different specialties um, in you know, follow-up clinics in um, physical therapy. So, yeah, I, I mean, that, that's. Is it something you connect them with as the nurse or is it something that they will just like be connected to? So say you're like, maybe you're not receiving additional therapies when you leave the NICU. My niece, for instance, was in the NICU, left, went home, didn't need additional therapies but could have qualified for early intervention just from the amount of time that they're in the NICU, right? Like, is that something that the hospital connects you with? Or is it just something that like, kind of, we expect parents to know? And if it is a, we expect parents to know, I just want to do a PSA of like, reach out to early intervention, even just to see, I'm a huge fan. We know that 80% of that brain is developing by the time they're three. Early intervention is the bump. I had early intervention first age. Uh, his crawl just didn't, it wasn't a typical crawl. And I was like, there's no harm in an assessment. Um, he had an evaluation, was assessed, qualified for PT. We did it. He's thriving <laughs> and like doesn't need ongoing PT because we got in as an infant. And helped tweak some of those things. But I guess like a little PSA for parents that like early intervention is the bomb. And I think that in most states, if you've been in the NICU for an extended stay of over a week, that you might automatically qualify for services. Yeah, no, I, I know in Massachusetts, most of our kids do qualify for um, EI. Um, we have um, a care coordination team that's cool. amazing that they like 
are usually totally on top of that. Um, a lot of the time, if they've been in the NICU at all too, they qualify for visiting nurses coming, um, you know, a couple of days after discharge too. So they set that up a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, I would just say like, if you are, you know, worried about anything, any delays or, or you do just want an assessment or something, reach out to programs like that and, and see what's available to you because all this development in those first three years is so, so important. So um, yeah, if you're questioning any of that, like, you know, especially to like going to your pediatrician, they have a lot of information about, you know, where you can get services and stuff too. So that would be another place that you could ask those questions. Sure. And you don't need a doctor referral to have an assessment for early intervention. So if you are questioning it and your ped isn't, um, as was the case in my household, go ahead and go ahead and reach out. Uh, Rad. You were mentioned the stimulation of a NICU. I mean, the stimulation of a hospital in general for me is a lot. <laughs> the lights, the sounds, the constant beeping in this in these spaces. And I can only imagine like how heightened that is. The beeping. The beeping, I think, as a sound sensitive human, I, I married a drummer and he is like constantly tapping on things and I am constantly asking him to stop. I, the, like the noise I think would be so much for my nervous system. And I am wondering, Hey, like, how do you do it, Zach? Like, what, do you have any hot tips for just other nurses out there or humans who are spending time in a NICU and what might that look like? Like I was picturing, like I would need AirPods. I would need to listen to something else outside of beeping. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we do have some parents that are there for longer periods that will bring their headphones and kind of like tune out with that. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, definitely when I first started, like probably the first like six months to a year, like I would come home and still hear the, like, the beeping like as I'm trying to go to bed and the lights and stuff you do get used to it over time but one thing I think that's also like great about my job is that I go there for those 12 hours and I'm fully invested there for 12 hours and then when I leave and I give report and I you know give the nurse that baby to take care of like I separate myself from there so it does help kind of like and then I don't have to you know respond to anything at work and then I come back in I take care of my baby so having that kind of like clean break from work does Mm -hmm. um, help kind of you know when you go back in there you can kind of come in and you know handle that stimulation overload so you do you do get used to it um, that sounds healthy. A clean break from work. I wonder what that's like. I wonder what that's like. Um, <laughs> sounds so lovely. Uh, rad. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think I would need headphones. I think I would also need to just like say I wanted to stay and be there for extended t- periods of time. I would have to like take a walk, like leave the beeping, leave the space, like walk away, come back. Um, proactively pour into that nervous system. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. 
Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Uh, I mean, we like we have separate areas for parents to go eat and drink and just take a break from that environment. You know, a lot of times they there, we'll encourage them to go out and, you know, go out to eat, go to a dinner like just you guys, especially if like there is another kid at home, somebody's watching them like, you know, hold the baby for a little bit, do these cares and then go do something for yourselves, like away from this. And so, yeah, we do, we do encourage, encourage that for sure. Cause it's just, it's a tough environment to be in for just long periods. Totally. And hard to, I bet, give yourself permission to do that, to walk away. So I try to always remind parents that it's okay to do that. It's okay that you, you know, you're not, you miss a day or, or you need to take a break from this. Like, sure. you miss know, always minutes. reminding them. Exactly. <laughs> I think I would like, need to break. I even like the idea of taking a shower was hard for me at the beginning, like separating was something that was really hard for me in the newborn phase. And I could, I could see I two of my dear friends have had Nikki babes and they shared that same thing, just like the permission to walk away and say like, I have a vulnerable newborn and I am going to walk away just inside feels there's like, there was a primal like pull to be like, I can't do that. And you like building that awareness and overriding that system to it's hard. It's so hard. We, we even talk about it with when we educate on shaken baby syndrome, even just like full-term infants sure. um, going home that aren't in the NICU. We really talk about um, recognizing when you're hitting your kind of breaking point. And if a baby's crying and you've tried everything you can and you're getting frustrated, and that's different for everybody, sure. right? Like some people have more patience than others and that's okay. It's just recognizing when you've hit that point and it's okay to put your baby down and walk away as long as they're in a safe place, walk away and take a break until you've calmed down because it just takes one moment of frustration that something can happen and nobody wants to hurt their baby when that happens. But when you're sleep deprived and the hormones are all changing from postpartum and um, you know, you haven't, you haven't slept and the baby's crying and you've tried everything possible. Like it, it's, it's very difficult. So just recognizing when you're getting to that point, it's okay to put your baby down, walk away and take a break, whether that's, um, you know, meditation, listening to music, yoga, you know, whatever it is, that's going to be able to calm you down 
so you can go back and respond to your baby and it's okay if your baby's crying um mm -hmm. you know your baby can cry there and they will be okay um so yeah we we always talk about that too that like you know even when you go home not even just in the NICU setting that it, it's okay to give yourself that break yeah for the rest of time eventually there'll be a toddler and they'll be following you as you go to the bathroom to take a break and you're shutting the door and you're taking that space because you're going to lose it in their face and taking that space and having them follow you and cry is more beneficial to them than you staying and losing it and I it's not like a trip to the spa for like a zen like oh, I feel super calm and relaxed when I come back, but no, I'm in a more regulated state, whether it's the toddler or the baby crying or whatever, like, okay, I can do this a little bit longer. What is mm -hmm. the expectation? What does discharge day look like? What milestones might you have to hit in order to navigate discharge? For the baby? Mm -hmm. So there, there's two big things that babies need to be able to do. They need to be able to maintain their vital signs. So they need to be able to make sure their heart rate doesn't drop at all and that they breathe and they don't have any dips in their oxygen. Um, the second thing is making sure they're eating enough. Um, they can eat, gain weight. So those are the two kind of big things that the babies need to do. And so we, we kind of get to that point in it's hard, right? Because babies kind of do their own thing. Like they're kind of on their own schedule. So sometimes it can come quicker than we anticipate. Sometimes it can be longer than we anticipate. So it can be kind of a shock where it's like, all of a sudden it's like, no, like they figured it out. They started eating. They're doing great. Like you're going home tomorrow. So those are kind of the big things they need to do before they go home. Um, and then usually discharge day is, you know, it's an exciting day. It's a terrifying day for parents. Um, <laughs> You're like, but, oh you know, shit, again, now I have this kid to take care of without yeah. this staff to lean on. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. And, you know, you're so used to them being on the monitors and then they're off the monitor. So yeah. it, it is, it is, it's, it's exciting because parents are like, well, they wanted this, but now it's like terrifying. Like, oh, now I'm bringing home. Um, so, you know, we do a lot of education leading up to this too. So it's not just kind of like a dump ball on that day, but it still kind of is. There's just sure. a lot of things that get done on that, on the, the day or two leading up to discharge. So we try to kind of like do as much as we can leading up to that. Um, so it's not as like kind of a crazy day for the parents, but it always is just kind of like making sure all the appointments are set. You know, you're bringing in your car seat and everything. You're probably getting everything ready at home. Um, so it is kind of just a crazy day, but um, those are kind of the two big things that babies need to do to be able to go home. And it's yeah. so variable. Like you can never really give like a specific date because, you know, babies just they're humans. They're always They're surprising. Yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. You brought up a really good point there that I just want to highlight that they went from being on all these monitors where maybe all you wanted was to take them home. And then now you're taking them home and you feel that anxiety start to set in of like, is their oxygen dropping? How will I know if it does? Like, are they, it might do, is this, I, I had a lactation consultant come to my house and we didn't have a NICU stay. And I still was just like, can you just, and I had been told like his latch is good. He's nursing well. And I was like, I just need another set of eyes on this boob right now. Like, is this, how are we? And she was like, this is great. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. But like you are all of a sudden going to have all those thoughts probably pop up of like, are they okay? And 
I hope that we could get all parents, but especially NICU parents, access to social workers, to therapists, to a space, to a support group, to a space to be able to lean on and say like, oh, I'm noticing these thoughts. I'm feeling that anxiety start to come in. And maybe now your postpartum anxiety spikes um, or depression or any number of things coming up and to hopefully have a team to lean on, even if it's your doctor you reach out to or a partner um, that can say, hey, these are things I'm noticing. Let's get you some help. Yeah, I, I think that that's huge to acknowledge and it's a wild ride. I I encapsulated my placenta and consumed it, which for a lot of people listening right now, I probably like throwing up their mouth. You know, I'm not like a make my own soap kind of person. And I, for me, it was hormone related where I was like, I'm going to have this huge drop in hormones if this placenta leaves my body and all those hormones are gone at once. And so I wanted to be able to like wean off of them. And at my six week checkup, my midwives were like, yeah, if you're still taking the placenta, like you can stop, whatever. So I just stopped and nothing had changed in my life. And all of a sudden I was sobbing. Everything felt harder. Like my world got really dark. And my husband was just like, Hey, did you stop taking the placenta pills? And I was like, all right. And it was just a, it was a shift in hormones. All of a sudden, the thing I was trying to avoid. And so I went back on them and then weaned off them and didn't experience that again. But it was this glimpse for me into like, hormones are bonkers and depression is so real and anxiety is so real and you don't have to do it alone and there's support and help in navigating that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Zach, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything that you would like to leave NICU parents with today? I don't think so. I mean, just, you know, do the best you can, um, you know, just be there for your baby. That's the most important thing. Like you're, you're their advocate. You're there. So just, just be there for them, love them. Um, and you know, the rest will fall into place. Yeah. You didn't do anything wrong. You're doing enough. Exactly. Um, thank you. Don't blame yourself. No, nope. And lean on those nurses. They're pretty rad. Thank you, Zach. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram hanging out every day with more free content? Come join us at seed.and.so, S-E-W. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.so to let me know your key takeaway. If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice.
So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.